invite you to open the book of Ruth this morning. We're going to be looking at starting in verse 14. We're going to read a couple of passages this morning. Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. Now chapter 2, verse 1. Now, now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After one whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And she departed and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now go to chapter 4. And verse 13. So Ruth took, so Boaz took Ruth. And she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord, who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Dustin. Well, I would encourage you to go ahead and just put your finger in Ruth chapter 1. Today, I want to talk to you about being a friend. Being a true friend or a companion. To quickly introduce this to you, today we are in our third week of a five-week series going through the book of Ruth. We are spending the weeks leading up to Christmas looking at this story of redemption, which is the Christmas season, but also this story that led Jesus to be born in a little town called Bethlehem, or the name meaning the house of bread. Two weeks ago, we looked at the story of Ruth. We saw the central conflict to the story. We saw the climax to the story in chapter 3. And then we saw the conclusion, the redemption, the, the finished product of the story. And then last week, we unpacked the story of Naomi. And if you remember Naomi, her name means pleasant or delight. And in the end of chapter 1, she turns her name from pleasure or delight into Mara, which means bitter. But what we saw at the end of the story is we saw a grandson be born to Naomi through Ruth. And his son, his son, the son's name was Obed, which means to be a worshiper or servant or a servant of God. And if you take that meaning, if you take that name and translate it back to the life of Naomi, which we see in chapter 4, we see that Naomi's life is the picture of a servant of God. 
that all servants of God have ups and downs. Can I get an amen to that one? Man, goodness gracious, if you haven't had a lot of ups and a lot of downs, you haven't lived that long, okay, all right, or you're just not realizing the truth. Just with the servant of God, there are many peaks and valleys. And what do we learn from Naomi's story? That in the times of delight, in the ups, we should enjoy life. In the downs, we should hang on to our faith, even if by a thread. A servant of God then in chapter 3 encourages others to follow the will of God. What did Naomi do to Ruth? Naomi encouraged Ruth to seek out a kinsman redeemer in Boaz in chapter 3. A servant of God encourages others to follow the Lord despite their own misgivings and their own struggles. And then finally, a servant of God walks by faith and not by sight. And what we are doing in this story, we are looking at, we looked at the story in the first week, and then last week we looked at Naomi, and then today we see the story through Ruth's eyes, next week we will see it through Boaz's eyes, and then we will finish this series by looking at this story, the story of Ruth through God's eyes. But today, I want you to see the story of Ruth through her lens. I want you to see the story as she saw it. Her name in Hebrew is Ruth. They didn't have a TH sound in Hebrew, okay? So it was Ruth, and her name means friend or companion. And she proves in this story to have four qualities of a true friend. I want you to think about friends in the Bible. The many examples of friends that we have. We have Jonathan and David, the four friends of Job, maybe not so much, um, Elijah to Elisha, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What made them true friends? What qualities did they have? So what I want you to do this morning, it's going to be super awkward in here for like 10 seconds. And that's cool. We can sit in silence. It's fine. What I want you to do is I want you to picture in your mind someone who was a true friend to you. Someone who was a true friend. Picture their face. I'm going to give you like five seconds. What made them a true friend to you? That space, that person in your mind is what I want to talk to you about today. What I want to do is I want to ask you a question, and I would like you to respond if you can, okay, if you're brave enough. What are the qualities of a true friend? What are the qualities of a true friend? And shout back at me or I will stare at you awkwardly, okay? What are the qualities of a true friend? Ever-present, good. Commitment, good. Long-standing, good. What are some other ones of a true friend? Forgiving your fault. <laughs> Amen. All right. True friends forgive you your faults. That is true. What else? What's that? Kindness. Good. Yeah. Always by the end, there's three people that speak at one time, and I can't actually discern what they say. But what does it take? To be a true friend. Can I just plant a seed in your mind? Today, I don't want you to think about, okay, what do I need to look for in a true friend? That's not what I want to talk to you about today. What I want to say is, what does it take for you 
to be a true companion to somebody in need? What does it look like for you to come alongside a Naomi in your life as Ruth did to her and for you to truly prove yourself to be just that, a Ruth in the life of a Naomi? But what's the first thing we must do? The first thing we must understand is what does it truly look like to be a true undying friend? That's what I want you to see. And we see that on full display with this woman named Ruth. She proves herself to be that. And she has four qualities of a true friend. Quality number one is in chapter one. Quality two is in chapter two. Quality three is in chapter three. And quality four is in chapter four. So if you have your Bible, look at chapter one really quick with me. Before we dive in full speed, let's just understand who Ruth is as a person. Who is Ruth? She is intelligent. She is implacable, immovable. She is faithful. She is godly. She proves herself to be a quick study of the law, which we will see today. Boaz calls Ruth in Ruth chapter 2 a woman of Hiel, a woman of valor, of moral excellence and ethical excellence. And when we pick up in Ruth... The end of Ruth chapter 1, what has her life been like? It's been pretty bad, okay? So she is a Moabite living in the country of Moab. She is a young lady. She meets a man named Malon, which means weak, okay? Don't know why his parents picked on him that way. Malon means weak. And he is a Jew from the town of Bethlehem. She falls in love with this man named Malon. And as in every marriage... When you marry, you also marry your in-laws. Anybody married in the room relate to that one? Yes? Okay. And Ruth has a mother-in-law named Naomi, and she has a sister-in-law named Orpah. They move to Moab. They, they, she marries Elimelech, the father of Malon, dies. And then she is married to her husband named Malon for 10 years. And then he dies, and her, his brother dies named Kilion. So then you're left with who? You're left with Ruth, you're left with Naomi, and you're left with Orpah, your sister-in-law. Now, I don't know, some of you might think that being stuck with your in-laws is a good thing. Um, I would like my in-laws in this particular regard, but I would imagine some of us would probably rather do anything else. Okay, so Ruth is sitting there. All she has left is her mother-in-law and a sister-in-law. And she is a Moabite living in the country of Moab. And then this happens in chapter 1, verse 14. Quality number 1 is found in verse 14. And they, they being Orpah, Naomi, and Ruth, and they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah, whose name means neck, for she turned her back on Naomi. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But I want you to notice this word, but Ruth clung to her. That word clung in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word devak. It means, it, it denotes the relationship between a master and his slave. It is a lifelong commitment. It's used 54 times in the Old Testament. But what's most interesting, as I was doing a word study, and if you've been in my hermeneutics class, you've heard that before. I did a word study on the 54 times it was used. The most interesting time for the word clung to be used is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says what? A husband shall leave his mother and father and be 
joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So in Genesis chapter 2, we're talking about in a perfect culture, we're talking about the commitment of marriage, that they should be joined to one another. It's the same word, devak. So what is he saying with Ruth? That Ruth clung to her. So what is Ruth signing up for? A lifelong commitment. Notice verse 15. Then Naomi said to Ruth, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law, Orpah. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death departs you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So what is Ruth signing up for in Ruth chapter 1? She is signing up for what? A lifelong commitment. Quality number one of a true friend is this. A true friend stands with you in the fire. Or I say with an H, it hurts with you. I would imagine the face that you saw at the beginning of the message, they proved themselves to be a true friend probably in part because of this. They stood with you in the fire. I mean, think about what Ruth says. She says, I will live where you live. I will go where you go. Your people will be my people. Why does she say that? It's because she is a Moabite who's moving back to the nation of Israel with Naomi, who is a Jew. Your God will be my God. And the greatest commitment of all is that she says, where you die, I will die. That I will never part from your side. But then notice at the end of verse 18, if you have your text, I'm not going to put it back up there. But she also invites a curse upon herself. May God do to me and worse. I mean, think about what Ruth is really signing up for. Ruth is willing to forego everything for her mother-in-law. Ruth is foregoing having a personal family. Why do I say that? It's because Naomi doesn't have any more children, which is the tradition and law of the time that the next of kin would marry her. So Naomi has no way to provide for her. Ruth is essentially signing up for no family, to live as a foreigner in a nation of Israel, to live with this woman, Naomi. She's signing up for a lifelong commitment and bringing a curse upon herself if she does not fulfill it. A true friend stands with you in the fire. God works mightiest in the darkest of times. If life were all mountaintops, then we would struggle to understand why we even need God to begin with. It's in the valleys, it's in the darkness that we see God work the mightiest and we run to him all the more. Can I just ask you a question? What do people typically do in difficult times? Okay, let's just, let's just play the hypothesis, okay? So you're going through a really difficult time, okay? And you're, all your friends know it. What's the typical behavior? What does Orpah do? The typical behavior is Orpah is what? She 
If you notice in the text, she travels somewhat back to the nation of Israel. She starts on the way, but then she, what does she do? She then withdraws and returns to what she is comfortable with. But Ruth clung to her. It's a lifelong commitment. That is what a true friend does. A true friend, when you go through difficult times, they stand with you in the fire. They don't look at you burning, okay? And they say, I'll go get you a fire extinguisher. I'll help things work out for you, okay? I'll just tell you a story. I've met many Orpahs in my life. I've shared this story with you a billion times, and I don't I'm not going to drag it on. But the day my son died, September 20th, 2015, I found out who my friend, true friends were. The Orpahs in my life did this number right here. Okay, all right. They didn't what? They didn't engage. They didn't even ask how I was doing. They didn't stand with me in the fire. They just looked at my life falling apart. And they did one of these numbers and they just said, I'll, I'll pray for you. That's not a true friend. A true friend is like Ruth. She clings on to her. Um, can I give you a random rabbit trail piece of advice? When somebody is going through trials and difficulties, what do we often stress about? When you go over to their house to give them consultation and comfort, what is the one thing you stress about more than anything else? I hear it. What will I say? Anybody else been there before? I'm so awkward because I don't know what I'm going to say to this Naomi in my life. But what does the scripture say? Romans chapter 12 verse 15. What? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Match action for action. If there is a Naomi in your life that is standing in the fire, don't worry about what you're going to say to them. Worry about what you're going to do. Cry with them. Sit with them. Sit with them in the mud. Walk with them. Don't run because it is uncomfortable. As I remember that time period in my life, some seven years ago, the true friends of my life said this, Byron, it is not good for you to be alone. I'm going to sit with you in the mud. I'm going to be with you. Do not let your social awkwardness, okay, deter you from doing what you know to be right. So Ruth clung to Naomi. Ruth committed to a lifelong commitment to her, to this hurting woman who's moving back, who has no hope, no chance of providing for Ruth an heir or a husband or a child or a family. So then notice verse chapter 2, verse 1. Naomi. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one whose sight I have found favor. But I want you to know. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Notice this last phrase. I'm going to talk about this here in just a minute. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come along the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Quality number two, a true friend meets real needs. A true friend meets real needs. Picture Naomi. At the end of chapter one, what does Naomi 
called her name. She says, call me Mara or call me bitter for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Let me just, how many of you have ever been there before? Dude. Yeah. And man, you felt, you feel so betrayed by the Lord for what he has allowed you to endure that you want to turn your name from pleasant or byron to angry and mad. Let me ask you the question. Um, what's your energy level like in those seasons? You probably just want to stay home and be a vegetable, right? You just want to give up on all of life. You want to be depressed and you want to just soak and sour and you just want to give up in despair of all of life. Can anybody relate to that? You know, you don't even want to get out of bed to eat. You just want to sit in the mud and just be angry and be sad. What do you need in those times? You need somebody who says, I will not let you be alone. A true friend meets real needs. What does Ruth do here? She goes out and she asks for permission to gather wheat. We, we live in the greatest time period of the world. I want you to think about something. We can go into Walmart at any day of the year, and what can you find? Well, food. But you could find berries, you could find mangoes, you can find bread, you can find all this stuff that are all out of season. I, mean, I want you to think about what's going on in chapter 2. What's happening? The harvest is happening. Guess how many times harvest happened a year? One time. So what does that mean? Naomi is sitting there, Mars, she is just wanting to sit down in the mud, and Ruth realizes what? That there is one harvest, that there is one time of year. She must go out in the fields and gather all of the wheat that she can for how long of a time period? For a whole year. I want to just put something in your mind. Ruth doesn't feel that Naomi is someone else's problem. She realizes that it is her responsibility. Ruth doesn't say Naomi's problem is a government to solve or somebody else's, but she takes ownership of this widow to provide. But notice in your text, verse 3 again with me, it says, So she departed and went out and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now, this this section of the verse tells me two things. What we don't really see in the text is the culture behind this. If you have your Bible, go to Deuteronomy chapter 24. So who are the people of Bethlehem? This phrase tells me who they really are. It says, so they, so she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Who are the people of Bethlehem? They are law-abiding, covenant-keeping, hospitable, generous, compassionate, living in an unrighteous, ungodly time. And why do I say that? It's because of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19. That governs this action. If you, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy 25 is the law of the kinsman redeemer, which really governs Ruth chapter 4. But what we see in this scene is the reapers. And this says in Deuteronomy 24 verse 19, When you reap your harvest in the field, and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. 
It shall be for what? The alien, for the orphan, and the widow. In order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. So what's going on in Ruth chapter 2? The reapers are leaving behind sheaves of wheat for who? For the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. So Ruth decides that it's her responsibility to provide for Naomi because Naomi just wants to sit in the mud, and that is totally cool. And Ruth decides to then go in the field and gather what the reapers have left behind. It tells me that the people in Bethlehem, two things. They know the scripture, they know the law, and they keep the law. What does it say in James chapter 1, but prove yourselves to be doers of the law and not just hearers who delude themselves? May we be known as that. People that know the scripture and obey the scripture. But what does it tell me of Ruth? It tells me two things about Ruth. Just this verse 3 of chapter 2. That number one, Ruth is very intelligent. Why do I say that? It's because she is a Moabite. living. She lived in a foreign country her whole life. She probably didn't have a lot of understanding of the Torah, of the Jewish law. She moves back to the land of Israel with her widowed mother-in-law. And Ruth knows the law already. She knows exactly the protocol. It is spelled out in Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. So Ruth is this highly intelligent, sincere person that is already trying to worship the true God named Yahweh. She's already figuring out. But it also tells me number two, and I've already said this, is that Ruth doesn't feel like Naomi is someone else's problem. Um, when somebody is going through the fire, see it as your responsibility to care for them and to meet their practical needs. What do we normally do when there are Naomi's in our life? Everybody had been given a hug like that? We're just kind of... It's like this awkward hug. That's not being biblical. That's not what a true friend is. A true friend sees it as their responsibility to provide for your needs. And we should meet them in practical ways. I mean, think about James chapter 2, verse 15. What does it say there? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warned to be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. That there is something about providing practical needs of the hurting. That's what a true friend does. They see it as their responsibility. I mean, think about the story of the Good Samaritan. Who proved to be the neighbor? The one that cared for the needs of the Samaritan. There is something about a true friend really does take care of another. A true friend is someone who sits in the mud. A true friend meets real world practical needs. And then a true friend, chapter 3. If you have your text, I'm not going to put it up here. Verse 1. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, this is the crazy idea. I'm not going to expound too much on it because we spent the last couple weeks on it. My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz or kinsman with whose maid you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor. Why? It's harvest. He's harvesting his wheat. Verse 3. Wash yourself, therefore, 
Anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. This is lunacy, okay? Verse 4, it shall be when he lies down that you shall stalk him, okay? <laughs> so you shall notice, so root this <laughs> I mean, she's watching Boaz in the threshing floor. She's watching, make sure he had a glass of wine and something to eat. Okay, and notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. And then he will tell you what you shall do. And what does Ruth say in verse 5? She said to Naomi, All you say I will do. So wait a second. A true friend listens. It hears you. And I'm not going to expound on this too much. I've talked about it last couple weeks. This is insanity. Straight up insanity. I mean, imagine, like I talked about last week, imagine you are tired at work and you decide to sleep there that night. Why would you ever do that? I don't know. And then your mother-in-law calls, calls some random person and tells them to then sneak into your work and lie down beside you. And when you wake up in the morning, you'll see somebody there. Uh, but what I find amazing about this story is verse 5. Ruth says, all you say I will do. She listens. If you've ever had a true friend, somebody that sat with you in the mud, somebody that provided practical needs, then I guarantee you, number three, that they heard you. They listened to your complaints. They listened to your struggles. Anybody else relate to that? Anybody else? Am I, am I driving? Am I anybody tracking with me? I mean, and and... You know, can I just pick on the Naomi's of the world? I know, you know, if you're our Naomi here today, I, I pray grace for you, okay? But one thing I'm going to suggest to you is the Naomi's of the world, what they do is they push people away. What does Naomi do in chapter 1? Just go back to your mother's house. Leave me alone. But as was said to me when my son passed away, it's not good for you to be alone, Byron. You need someone to talk to. You extroverts in the room... The people that process externally, you just tell people how you feel. Talk to people. And you introverts, you Byrons of the world, okay, this guy is an introvert. What do you do when you are in immense pain? You just get trapped in your head. Does anybody else relate to that? And you just swirl and you swirl and you swirl and you close down the spiral of despair and depression. You need a Ruth that recognizes you, that drags it out of you, that listens. And if you're a Ruth, if you have somebody in your life that is a Naomi, I'm going to encourage you is to listen. Many of the personal problems that we have could be erased if we just listened. One of my favorite Proverbs says, There is safety in a multitude of advisors, but an advisor does no good if I don't listen. A true friend hears. They sit with you in the mud, they make sure you have food, and they take care of you, and they listen to your complaints. They listen to your despair. What does it say in James chapter 5? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for us so you can be healed. That we are not meant to be alone. 
That if you are walking through a trial, if you're walking through a difficulty, and you're sitting there by yourself, if you're a Naomi, you're not meant to be that way. You're not meant to be alone, but that we are meant to love one another and care for one another. What is our mission here at Calvary Bible Church is to guide all people to become biblical followers of Christ through intentional relationships. We believe here at Calvary Bible Church that being in relationship with other Christians is a vital part of your spiritual journey. That's why we created grow groups. It's to foster these relationships. You're not meant to be alone. If you are in Naomi and you're being self-reliant, an island off by yourself, friends, you are doomed. You are meant to be in relationship. And the roots of the world need to listen. They need to hear what you have to say. So a true friend hurts with you, helps. And then notice the fourth thing in Ruth chapter 4 verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in all of Israel, and may also be a restorer of life and sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, I didn't even notice this next one, who loves you? Can I just, who proved her love? Who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Quality number four of a true friend, a true friend looks for God's working, heralds God if you want to keep up with the H's. When you are Naomi, when you are in the midst of the fire, if you're in the midst of the mud, what is the most difficult thing to do? Is to see how God is working. When you go through it, it's so easy. To think that God has forgotten you, he has abandoned you, he hates you, he dislikes you, he's run away. But the roots of your life remind you of God's working. They point you back to the Lord. When my son passed away some seven years ago, there are many phrases that stuck into my mind. But one was this, where is God? Because I was moral. I was bitter. I was just ready to lie down and just give up on all of life. But the friends came alongside me. They whispered in my ear, where is God? Where is God? Where is he? What's he doing? Where can you find him? Because truly you can only find satisfaction and salvation in the midst of your pain in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does Ruth do here? She is. She becomes. She points Naomi Back to the Lord. She is, in a sense, Naomi's redemption. She provides for her an heir to inherit the land of Malon and Kilion to carry on the name of Naomi's two dead sons. It is very difficult when you walk through the fire to remember where God is. But that's what a true friend does. It puts the thought in your mind, where is the Lord? Where is God? Ruth proves to be a true friend. But the point of my sermon is not this. The point of my sermon is, what, who is somebody in your life that has been a true friend to you, and what were their qualities? It's not what I want you to do. My question for you is, who needs you to be a true friend? 
Who is a Naomi in your life that needs you to be a Ruth? And the question is, is will you be that? Or will you be this? Will you see it like Ruth saw it? She saw it as her responsibility to care for Naomi. She saw it as her responsibility to go work in the fields to provide for her wheat for the rest of the year. She saw it as her responsibility to listen to the lunacy in chapter 3. She saw it as her responsibility to point Naomi back to the redemption of God. Who is someone in your life that is just sitting in the mud? Friends, we are not meant to be islands. Inside this room, you have spiritual family. But I also hope that you have a friend. Perhaps part of the breakdown in our culture today is not today that the world is more wicked than it ever has been. I would argue that it is not the most wicked it has been. Go back before the flood. There's a reason why God wiped it out. But I imagine part of the reason why people feel alone in the church is because we have been hurt by people in the church. Let me just ask you the question. How many of you have ever had a Christian share a secret about you? Can you raise your hand? How many of you have ever heard a Christian gossip? (laughs) Please, everybody raise your hand on that one. That is not okay. Keep it to yourself. Because in this room, you should find a true friend. Somebody you can rely on. Somebody you can pour out your heart to. That you know that has your back. That clings to you. That has a lifelong commitment to you. That they're probably not even biologically related. You are not meant to be alone. You are meant to have a true friend. That provides for you. That hears you out. That points you back to the Lord. Don't be alone. And if you're not plugged into a grow group here, that is the venue to find relationship. You're not meant to be an island. Guess what happens on deserted islands? You die. You die. And you will spiritually if that is how you live. Be a true friend to someone. Pick a face. I don't care who it is. Pick a face. Will you be a Ruth to him or her? That is my question. And that is the decision you have to make. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning um, and just the story of this woman named Ruth, how she proves herself to be godly and righteous and a person of character and a person that just um, comes alongside a hurting widow. And Lord, I um, many of us are in Naomi's shoes. We are struggling to see your goodness and your love. And I would pray for those that are in the mud. 
I pray that you would bring alongside them somebody to remind them of your work and of your grace and your mercy. And Lord, I pray for those that do not know you as Savior. Um, for those that think God is just this person that we come to Sunday and we read about, but this God that's not meant to have a relationship with me. Lord, I pray for those that do not have a relationship with you. They may have been coming to church all their life. I pray that you would open their eyes to the truth, that you are a good God who is in control, and you sent your Son to transfer us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved Son with whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. I pray for those that do not know you, that they would see their sin, see their need for you, and they would repent and believe in your Son. And we thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.